Well, good morning, Grace. My name's Phil. <laughs> Lovely to be here with you. I love that I don't have to introduce myself anymore. And the beautiful thing is you never need to know my name anyway. Someone say amen. <laughs> Man, I'm excited to be here as I always am. And I do believe God has a very intentional word for today. And I have to just throw some love to Kim Bonvasudo, who just led it as well. And exactly, yeah, oh well, yeah, you can clap for her. What she just shared in that moment in the middle Oh, man, it's almost exactly where we're going. So tell me God's not working. Tell me his spirit's not present. Uh, but real quick, we are a family here. If you've been here one time or 10,000 times, you are part of the fam. That is the truth. If you've been here, you know that. This is a big old gigantic grace family. I need you to turn to a neighbor real quick. Turn to a neighbor real quick. I need you to interlock fingers, okay? Just interlock fingers just like this. Come on. Do it. Find somebody. Interlock some fingers. Some of y'all are married and not even doing it. I mean, I don't want to know what it looks like at home. Shoot. Look them straight in the eyeballs and say, happy Sunday. happy Sunday. All right. All right. Now turn to a neighbor near you and whisper, I'm not touching you. <laughs> All right. All right. Germs still exist. We will in a second. We will in a second. Uh, as my brother in the front just pointed out, I'm just going to start this message uh, acknowledging something that happened in the world. Recently, we uh, are not of the world, but we are in the world, and we're supposed to be the vessels here. Uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned this week. That is a win for the kingdom. That is a win for God's people. But while I want to celebrate that, I want to say something that maybe no one has said to you yet since this is so new. This is a time for God's people to intentionally step up. We will come into a season of division, and it's already happening. I was told this morning that 53 uh, pregnancy crisis centers, Christian centers that help pregnant women, have been vandalized just in the last few days. We're going to go into a season of division. I want to encourage you right now, and I'm even going to pray for it. It is not the believer's job to feed into that division. If you feed into political division, you are no better than the people you think are wrong. It is our job to fight for what? Unity. We must do that. Please, over the next weeks, months, and even years, do not enter in to the political division. Don't do it. Your kingdom is not here. Your home is not here. Your home is in heaven. So while we celebrate wins that God's kingdom is moving, we stand for something bigger. So be those people. Don't press post on Facebook. Don't respond to that person who doesn't agree with you. Don't do it. Don't do it. Love them. Love them. And I'm going to pray for that right now. Jesus, we celebrate right now a victory that I believe you're celebrating, God. I thank you, God, for the lives that will be amazing people in this world that may not have had the opportunity otherwise. God, right now, we just even extend your hand of grace over anyone who has had an abortion your grace is sufficient, and you love all. And God, we ask that as believers, we would step up to the plate to be people amidst our flesh and our own opinions, would fight for unity and to love those we don't agree with the same way you died for people, and as they killed, you said, Father, forgive them. Would we be like that? We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people agreed. Amen. Come on.
All right, y'all, we just getting going today. I, I can't guarantee I won't preach for an hour 15. If you got lunch plans, cancel them. It's game time. But I love being part of the Grace family. I really do. Me and my wife say this all the time. Uh, we've been coming here. We, we used to commute from Lancaster, the far side of Lancaster, to come. I've always felt this place was special. I believe it's special. And I believe, oh, man, Grace is at a turning point in a lot of different ways and even maybe has been where the future is so bright for this body and what God's going to do through this place. Uh, but we wait on him, right? We wait on him. But I just want to share a couple of examples of other people coming into what we have here and acknowledging it immediately. The first one I want to share is a group called Circuit Riders. They came to hang out with our Grove family. Shout out my Groveians. I see some of y'all in the room, our young adult group, man. We killing it, all right? They came in, they were traveling. They traveled the nation and actually the world. They do a lot of international places as well. And they travel to colleges, churches, and they, they really invest in the young adult kind of demographic, right? And I have a picture of the group that came with us. Uh, this is, it's, I wish I had taken a widescreen, but you know, that's them, that's their team. Uh, they were the Northeast Circuit Rider team doing the Carry the Love Tour. They came here, right? They did a quote-unquote takeover of the Grove a few months back. Uh, they led worship. They had a message, a missional message, all this different stuff. And I'll never forget this. We, I was giving them a tour of the grounds, and they got to meet a couple people. They got to see the Dream Center, and their leader, his name's Wes. We, we talked yesterday. We still keep in contact. He said this, he said this, we've toured the entire nation. There's only two churches that we feel are doing what's happening here. Two, the other one's in Florida, not even near us. Two places that they walked in, they're like, oh my gosh, God's all over this place. Like this is what the church should look like. The church should be tangibly on site meeting needs. Like there shouldn't even be a question. You should be able to walk into any church and have your needs met, you're, you're doing that. And you're doing it above and beyond. Oh man, it's amazing. And then another one, uh, I was just shared this with me like maybe two weeks ago. We have a, a new kind of newish member of Grace, maybe even coming nine, to, nine months to a year, has decades of ministry experience. I'm actually not even sure if he's here right now. I don't think I've met him. It was shared through somebody else. But uh, decades of ministry experience. And, and he said this to Jeff recently. He says, other churches need to know what Grace knows. Other churches need to know what clearly is known here at Grace Fellowship Church. Uh, so I just encourage you guys, man, if you're part of this family, and I say this every single time I teach, man, it's got to be more than a Sunday. You, I promise, in love, are missing the beauty of what God's doing in this expression if you're only here Sundays. Man, find something to get plugged into. Find an area to serve. Man, the worship team needs people. The, the usher team needs people. I promise you student ministry and the young adults can always use people. Kids ministry desperately needs some people, man. Get involved. Go check out the Dream Center. Like, like volunteer at the Harvest. Serve people who show up weekly. Go to Adopt-A-Block. We own a house in the city just to love people. Some of y'all probably didn't even know that. Go there. Check it out, man. It's in a real sketchy area, but that's where Jesus would be. You know what I'm saying? Come on now, y'all. Man, the beauty is so much more than just this room. I hope you know that, but there's so much beauty in this room. Um, but I'm just excited with where we're going, uh, not even just in this series, but for the future. I'm hyped up about today. I probably need to get into it because I got a lot to talk about. So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to go. All right, so let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for the excitement that you have in me, even knowing that I came into today not feeling well. And the minute I walked on this stage, I swear you, you just have such an amazing healing touch. Thank you. Would you bring a word that we need, God, right now? You are going to speak to some people in this room not prepared to hear it, but you are the ultimate preparer. I ask that you would just soften hearts for us to receive things that we need, but so often in our flesh we can't.
but I thank you that your Holy Spirit lives in your believers and, and, and just makes it possible for us to receive what you have for us. We just pray your hand over this time that my words would fall, yours would stand, and we would leave this room different than the way we walked in. We pray these things, and all God's people sang, amen. Come on now. Come on now. Every time it happens, this side's behind this side, but they sound a little better. All right. It's like dead down the middle. The acoustics must be split this way. Or all the artists sit on the left and they sit on the right. That's neurological. All right. Today we're in Genesis 18. Genesis 18. Uh, oops, sorry. Go back to the normal slide, please, Andrew. Genesis 18. Last week, Mark... Um, uh, let us through Genesis 17. If you were here, if you didn't check it out, please check it out. The reason I say you should go check it out isn't necessarily because, you know, every message is so bomb and all this stuff, but this, the tracking through Genesis, truly, if you miss something, like, you'll miss on context. You'll miss, like, the story, right? That's what we, we've called this whole series, God's story, and you're going to miss out on some of it. So go check that out, but I'll recap it quickly. Genesis 17 is this marquee chapter where Abram and Sarai are given the covenant, given the promise that they'll, they'll get the nations, right? Their offspring will be the nations. You can't even count them up in the sky type of deal, and he changes their name. He literally redefines who they are, and, and we go into 18, which is the next chapter after this happens, all right, so I'm going to go ahead and read. We're going to do verses 1 through 15. We're not going to do the whole chapter today because I promise you I actually would talk for two hours if we did that. So in our, thank you, amen. Uh, in our teaching team, they were like, don't do the whole chapter. I was like, okay, amen. So let's read it. It'll be up on the screens for you. Andrew, if you mind just following with me. Starting in verse 1, the three visitors, this is called. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great cheese of, of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest, then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Oh, wait, did I skip a... Oh, yeah, wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that, you can, now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and he said, quick, get three sayas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and he gave it to the servant who prepared it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and he set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. And then one of them said, this should sound familiar. I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. If you look into the original language, it pretty much implies she had already gone through menopause. Right? So she's not even able to have a child. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, now I will have this pleasure. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? We're going to focus on that verse today. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year. 
and Sarah will have a son. I love the authority that God has. You will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh, but he said, yes, you did. (laughs) I feel like sometimes God just included scripture for like to show he has a sense of humor. All right. All right, so let me just break down this opening interaction quickly because we're not going to talk too much about how these visitors showed up and even really who they were. We're going to touch on it, but it's not where I felt led to go with this passage. But just a quick breakdown of this interaction is that Abraham here clearly knows that these people are important. Right? So it was customary at the time. We've talked about this a couple times already throughout this series. It was customary at the time for you to greet travelers, right? They didn't have Uber back then, so it wasn't convenient to get somewhere. You walked in the desert to places. You were thirsty, you were hungry, uh, and it was probably dangerous in a lot of ways. So it was customary to treat travelers, uh, or or like, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, to uh, welcome travelers, maybe treat them to some water, some food, and then send them on their way. It was even customary for you to walk a ways with them to show your hospitality. But this is clearly different because of the way he approaches these people. It says that he bowed to them. It says he hurried to them. It says he got the the finest tender calf, like the best of his flock, like how he's rich. I mean, his, his, think about your investment portfolio. It's like you being like, take my Bitcoin. Some of you are like, what in the world is Bitcoin? And this is how he treated these people. Now, Studying it is so interesting because it says the word Lord. It says the Lord appeared and even capitalizes the L. And then a couple different times down, it says the Lord spoke. The Lord said this. And Abraham addresses them as Lord. So he clearly knew something when he saw these people. And from studying the context, if we go back to like Hagar, where we even said from stage, we believe that we could argue that it was Jesus incarnate who showed up to Hagar. And you can look through the Old Testament and see these different times that pre-Jesus physically coming and doing what he did, there's times where, where we could likely believe he was even maybe momentarily incarnate to people, right? Which is amazing to me that I tend to chalk Jesus up to, well, he lived 33 years, but the, the word says that he's always been and always will be. That at the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. Therefore, Jesus can do what he wants because he's God. And for Abraham to approach these people, and specifically one of the three, and bow before him and call him Lord. And for this person to reiterate the promise God had given one chapter before. And for it to sound eerily similar to the interaction with Hagar, while we can't say this uh, uh, for sure, maybe likely this was Jesus speaking to Abraham. This was Jesus speaking to Abraham. And in chapter 17, Mark talked about all these correlations, how he fell down, face down in front of God, how many times? Twice. Mark even modeled it. And Abraham does the same thing here. It just leads me to believe it was God. It was God. And we know the word says that no man has seen Father God, therefore who must have it been? Jesus. Oh, that's so exciting to me. And even just back to Matt Von Stein's message. I, this is why I hope y'all are tracking. He talked about Melchizedek. What did he say Abraham did to Melchizedek? Even though Abraham was this powerful leader, powerful ruler, it says he did what to Melchizedek? He tithed to him. He, had, he didn't need to do that. And yet he saw God in Melchizedek. He knew this man was an important man of God, and he honored him. And he does so much more here. I don't know. Maybe it was Jesus. 
But right off the bat, regardless of, of you know, how this fleshed out, I think what we can do is look at this interaction and realize it's extremely meaningful. And if it's extremely meaningful, that means we can take something from it. If this was meaningful to Abraham and, and if this was Jesus, then even more so, there are things we have to take from this. This is not just another Genesis story that we're like, I don't know what was just read. I'll see you next week. This is not it. So let's lean in. Let's posture ourselves and let's listen, all right? I'm going to break it down. I'm going to go through a few verses. So that's kind of the opening. And we're going to go to verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10. It says this. This is these, these visitors and they say this. I love this. Where is your wife, Sarah? There in the tent, he said, then one of them, reiterate, one of them, I would have guessed that it was Jesus if it was him, reiterates God's promise from chapter 17. I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. This is something I've skipped over a million times. I've read Genesis a whole bunch of times, but I've skipped over this specific part when I've been reading it, that Abram, Abraham and Sarah had just been given their new names like just been given. We could even kind of uh, put the timeline together if we kind of look diagnostically at it a little bit. Because between Genesis 17 where the promise is given that in, in a year she'll have a baby, this couldn't have been more than three months later because she's still not pregnant. See, I'm getting that math, nine months of pregnancy and she's not pregnant yet, so it had to have been less than three months. So they have just been renamed. They have just been renamed. They have just been given these new identities via who God says they are, via the promise that God is giving him. And these people who are travelers who they assumedly have never met before call her Sarah. They call her by her new name. They address her the way God sees her. Now here's the truth. She's still not pregnant. She's still, she's still living the reality of Sarai. She's still barren. She still doesn't believe she even has the capabilities to have a baby. And these godly travelers, maybe one Jesus incarnate, call her Sarah, though her circumstances had not changed. Here's my first point, y'all. I hope you're leaning in already. Godly people will see you the way God sees you. And how about another level to that? If you're a godly person, you will see people the way God sees them. Man, this could not be more relevant for the political climate as of this week. How have you chosen to see people this week who are pro-abortion? I hope that, that just sends a, a, like a tingle of conviction down your spine because it does it for me. Man, I, I, I have not responded to things, uh, but I will admit to you there have been, uh, unfortunately, a few I've seen where in my brain, man, I want to say 538,000 things and none of them are nice. How am I seeing that person? Let me ask you something. If they disagree with everything you believe in faith, did God still make them? Are they still made in the image of God? Does God still want them saved as much as he wanted you saved? All right. Godly people will see you the way God sees you. Let me add a little caveat there. Even when you don't see yourself that way. Oh, man. Self-doubt, anxiety, depression are more common than they've ever been before, right? This self-loathing attitude, this, this self-harm even, right? It's more, it's more prominent than it's ever been statistically. Even when you don't believe it, godly people around you will see you the way God sees you. Listen to me, family. It is integrally important in our walk with Jesus, in your walk with Jesus, in my walk with Jesus, to have people around you 
who speak to you and see you the way God sees you. People who call out the best in you. People who see God's bright future for you. People who acknowledge and call out your gifts and your God-given abilities. People who don't see your problems, see your potential. People who don't enable your negative habits, but enable you to see and know God better. These men come across Sarah still childless, still by definition her old self, and they don't call her that. They call her what they know God calls her. They see her the way they know God sees her. They speak over her what God has spoke over her. When we have people in our lives who do this for us, it enhances us in a million ways. It grows our trust in God, our confidence in what he's called us to do. He helps, it helps us to be bold. It reminds us of who God says we are when other people might be saying other things. It speaks life into the dead areas that we walk in. And if you're surrounded by lots of people not doing that, if you're surrounded by lots of people speaking to you negatively, bringing up your past, condemning you for what you've done, fill in the blank, pulling you away from God, listen to me, start dropping those people. You can love someone from a distance. I gave a message, I mean, it might be a year ago at this time, but I gave this metaphor, I don't know if anybody remembers it, of that if someone brings you something out the kitchen that you did in order because it's not what God wants for you, you, via Holy Spirit in you and the authority you have, you have the right to say, no, 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 send that back. That's not for me. This is the same thing. If you got people in your life who just constantly tear you down, that's not God. That's not God's will for you. I'm not saying cut those people cold turkey and be mean to them and tell them you hate them. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the, the people you spend the most time with have to be people like this who call you by what God sees you as. Man, if you, I'm telling you one of the most influential things in my life, even as I, before I even got to this, if you want to call it a platform or whatever, where they trusted me enough to come blab words at you guys, I had people telling me I'd be here. I had Alex Gilbert, before I ever spoke a message, even at Awaken, tell me he knew it was going to be my job in the future. I was still acting a fool in a lot of ways. I still had a million ways to mature and still do. But he spoke God's truth into me. He didn't see problems. He saw potential. Do you have people speaking that into you? Parents, this is your job to speak your children's potential into them to make sure they know how God sees them. They might roll their eyes every time you say it. That's okay. Do it anyways. And then here's the other side of it, friends. We also need to offer this to others. As much as you need people, you have to find them. You have to seek them out. God's not just, and sometimes he will, but he's not always just gonna like lump extremely positive people in your life. And I promise you they do exist, okay? Uh, if you don't think they exist, get off the internet. <laughs> I deleted TikTok the other day just because. I was like, man, I'm tired of it. I do like that app, though. We have to be this for other people, man. Let me ask you a question. Is it hard for you to compliment people? Does it just come out of gritted teeth sometimes? 
you did a really good job. <laughs> so good. All right, now let's say you're good at that with the people that are easy to compliment because they reciprocated it. Are you good at uplifting those who don't do it back to you? Are you good at uplifting those who you want their position? Are you good at uplifting those that you feel like you're in competition with? Because it makes us feel less, right? For me to compliment someone, for me to be kind to somebody, for me to uh, speak potential and future and God's vision into somebody, that makes me less. Because that's less, no. Man, that's the devil lying to us saying that uplifting someone else puts us lower. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And even if that's how you want to view it, what's the Bible say? <laughs> Lift others up as higher than yourself. Period. Are you someone who speaks life and truth and God's identity into people even when they're wild? I want to give you the example of Michael Bennett. I was hoping that he was going to be leading this morning. Michael, if you're watching, what the heck? Yeah. yeah. Michael Bennett was one of my D group kids all the way back in ninth grade, ninth grade, okay? Uh, he's the young guy with longer hair who just slays it up here. And when, he, when that boy gets into it, you worship, all right? Yes. Yes, that's an anointing, by the way. That's what that's called. He was the worst, okay? Out of my entire D group, he was the single worst one. He was the worst. And I had a lot of bad ones. I'd say their names. I, I mean, I know I talk to all of them still. I'm not going to. I had a whole band of hooligans, probably why God put me there. Michael Bennett was the worst. I mean, in every way. I'm not joking. He was acting a whole fool, doing all the terrible stuff. He'd come, you know, whatever. I'm not going to get into it. But I'll tell you this. We'd be in deep conversations, and he'd be the one that would just rip off a five-second fart and laugh and derail the whole conversation. That was him. But one thing I saw in Michael Bennett from a young age is that what he did, people followed. And it wasn't the right stuff then. And he, if he was here, he would tell you this. I told him from ninth grade on, bro, you're a leader. It's about how you're going to use that leadership. And I, I mean, I'm, listen, not everybody's a success story, but look at him today. Man, that kid, like the Awaken kids, he's part of why Awaken has 180 kids a week. People follow him. They listen to him. He always had the leadership. He needed people to speak to him how God sees him. Are you doing that for others? They did that for Sarah here. She might not have even noticed it in the moment. She still laughed afterwards. They still did it. If you want to speak God's truth into somebody who doesn't believe a word you say and they laugh at you, that's okay. I'm still going to do it because Sarah laughed at God himself after he said this. And look what she had a year later, a child. Don't doubt God and what he can do. Just speak the seeds you need to speak. And don't be someone who, who does the opposite. So I want to ask you a question. Who do you need to alter your behavior with? Who, you, who do you need to begin speaking life and truth and God's identity into that you're not doing it right now? Maybe because it's hard. Maybe because it feels awkward. Maybe because you've never thought about it until right now in this exact moment. Whatever the reason, start today. I'm telling you, man, you, if, if I see some people on their phone right now sending an encouraging text, I give you permission. If God laid someone on your brain right now for real, pull out your phone and text them and tell them you see God in them. Let's keep going. We're 10 verses in, y'all. All right. Verses 12 through 13. This is just two verses later. This is after God uh, reiterates the promise, right? 
Or at least he's in this thing like saying, God, you know, I'm going to be back and she's going to have a child. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, now I will have this pleasure. Imagine just like the, the sarcasm she used as she said this. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? I, I, like, okay, so Sarah laughs at God. One thing I love about this is in the NIV and the ESV, it says laughed to herself, right? So maybe you could say it was like, you're not really sure what's going on. She laughed to herself, could have been out loud, it could have been internally, we're not sure. The AMP, the ASV, and quite a few other versions I looked into it say laughed within herself. This was an internal questioning. She didn't sit in the tent and laugh out loud like a, you know, a crazy person. She was just having an internal dialogue. And she laughed within herself. Here's what's hilarious. She laughed in here and then God says, why'd you laugh? <laughs> Man, we think we can hide stuff from God. It's wild. She laughs within herself and asks this doubtful question. And God says, why'd she laugh? He's not even with her. She's in the tent. He's outside talking to Abraham. And he says to Abraham, why'd she laugh? <laughs> Abraham's probably, what are you talking about? Did you hear a laugh? I don't. My camels are being loud, but I don't know about a laugh. (laughs) She laughed within herself, and God hears her. I want to pause and challenge us with a little mini point before I give you my second one. Do you know that what goes on up here is just as noticed by God as what you do out here? What goes on up here is just as noticed by God as what goes on out there. There's a reason that 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against what? The knowledge of God. And then what do we do? Take captive every thought and make it obedient to who? Not us. Make it obedient to Christ. This exact idea from 2 Corinthians 10, 5, write that down. Is, is just modeled here. It's fleshed out here with Sarah. She, number one, she wasn't demolishing the pretensions that she had. Her pretension was that she could not have a baby. What pretensions do you have that God can't do in your brain? That was her pretension in this moment. She did not demolish it. She didn't take it captive. Even though she knew that it was going against what God had promised, God noticed that she was doubting this. God noticed she wasn't taking these thoughts captive. And then that on God's end, he sees those in her, her mind, those doubtful, hateful, lustful, spiteful, revengeful, whatever they are for you, even if they're only in here, he sees them, he acknowledges them. But the second thing is that's on God's end. He still sees what's going on up here and he cares about that. On the second kind of end of that is our part of things. We're called to take them captive. God sees those thoughts, but he says it's our job to take them captive. And I think here's why. Oh, I had that verse for you. Thoughts not captured are eventually released as actions. Thoughts not captured are eventually released as actions. And the thing is, we know this is true. Like, I love how the Bible, you, like, you don't need to make a case study for it. It proves itself over and over and over again. We know this is true. How? What happened last time Abraham and Sarah doubted God's plan? They went and had their, a baby the wrong way. Those uncaptured thoughts had already been there for them. They were then released as an action, which turned into a son named Ishmael. As Jeff mentioned a couple Sundays ago, he's in some ways the catalyst of the second largest world religion, Islam. 
But let me bring this full circle. Here, Sarah's still doubting. This is later. He's still doubt. She's still doubting what God had promised. But this time, it's different. This time's very different because why? God shuts it down quick. Why? He'd already let them try their way. God's going to let you mess up. But God also has his plan and what he's got to do. And he's going to get done what he has to do, whether it's through me, through you, or through someone else. They've gone down this road before. They've already make, made the mistake. God in this moment checks the uncaptured thoughts, doesn't even let her get to the point where they're about to make another bad action, another bad decision. And let's bring that forward to today, maybe for us. When you get on a harmful thinking train, a negative thinking train, and Holy Spirit begins to convict you about it, like I shouldn't be thinking this, I shouldn't, this could be bad. I don't want to go this route. I don't want to be thinking about these things. I don't want to be stuck in this headspace. It is our job to find ways to shut it down quick. The same way in this moment, God shuts it down for Sarah. Like, hey, you already done did this. We're not doing that again. Why'd you laugh? Hey, pause. You're going to have the child, so quit it. Because thoughts not captured are eventually released as actions. Let me give you some examples. Domestic abuse started with an uncaptured angry thought. Substance abuse started with an uncaptured tempting thought. Porn addiction starts with an uncaptured lustful thought. Greed starts with uncaptured selfish thoughts. Depression starts with uncaptured sad thoughts. Unworthiness starts with uncaptured self-doubt. Anxiety starts with uncaptured worries. Arguments start with uncaptured judgment. Y'all hearing me? Do we realize that you don't just wake up one day and do something heinous? You are letting stuff sit here that eventually can't be contained there anymore. Man, God heard Sarah's thoughts and knew how important they were and said, man, we got to cut that quick. I'll even give you a personal example. Like I've, I've said this before and I'll continue to say it. I'm a recovering egoist. I love me, Okay. I'm not someone who doubts myself to the wrong extent, okay? If you ask me right now, can I fly off this stage, I'd think about it. I'd say maybe. <laughs> and God, over the last decade-ish, man, that's the, one of the biggest things he's been trying to cleave me of is just that pride. And it starts with just little thoughts up here about me being higher than I really am, me being better than I really am, me being better than that person. Well, I never did this, and I'm doing this, and they're being lazy, and blah, blah. And every, I, I thank God for this. Every time he's like, shut up. I tell myself, he might be saying it to me, I'm not sure. I don't know if he says shut up. He, I think he probably does. He, all the time, I literally will be in the middle of one of those thoughts, and I'm like, shut up, Phil. Like, shut up. What are you doing right now? You really think you're better than that person just because they did that? Oh, great, you, you spoke a great message and you got some encouragement. What does that mean? You're like King David now? No, you know what I'm saying? We have to take those thoughts captive. We have to take those thoughts captive, otherwise they're released as an action. And I think this list could go on forever, right? Whatever, we have a billion thoughts a day. I mean, our brains never stop, they're amazing. Some maybe more than others. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. We're all gifted individually. It could go on forever, right? But I think that this idea is so obvious that it's truth. I don't even think we have to go to the Bible for it, but we can. And 
It does this with Sarah here. Maybe Jesus does this with Sarah here. Abraham and Sarah had had their doubts. They let them go uncaptured in the past. And it led to eventually what was the leader of an entire other religion. So when Sarah has these thoughts, again, God says, no, no, take them captive. We're not doing this again. And praise God that he chooses to help us and he always will. You never were meant to do this by yourself. If you are up in your head all the time, like me, I literally never stop thinking. I, I like can't go to sleep at night. I'm not joking. It takes me like 30 minutes to an hour to fall asleep every single night because I just think about everything. I'm like, stop, brain. But we have to get good and we have to let God help us to start taking some of those captive. But God puts his finger on her doubts and says, man, it's your time to stop that. Trust me and don't let those uncaptured thoughts become actions that will eventually be harmful to you and to others. We're 13 verses in. Y'all still with me? <laughs> okay, because, okay, good. Let's continue, let's continue. I don't think God is done there by any means. The very next sentence, and it's, my, it's what I'm most excited about in this message, is he responds in, in a typical God fashion where he asks a question with a question. Here's one of the other evidences that make me think this was Jesus incarnate. Jesus' entire ministry for three years was him asking questions with questions. He did it nonstop. People would ask, Pharisees would come to him and ask him these hard questions, and almost every time he would respond with a question. Sarah asks something hard here, and he responds with a question. And the question is this it's just the first half of verse 14, y'all. Is anything too hard for the Lord? He asks Sarah this Hey, you're doubting me. And it makes sense. You have physical reasons to believe this couldn't happen. But is anything too hard for the Lord? I'm about to blow y'all's minds right now because it blew my mind. The Greek, well, the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for hard here, I'm going to try to pronounce it. It's not going to be right. Hyapale. Anybody know that word? Any Hebrew experts in the room that could tell me how to pronounce it? Hyapale. The root word for that is, is Ben, how, how do we say it? Pale. Pale? Okay. We, we literally studied this. Pale. Listen to me, y'all. This is the exact same word used in Isaiah 9-6, our favorite Christmas passage, which says what? For to us a child is born, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. The same word for hard is the same word they use for wonderful. That's so interesting, isn't it? There's two people that hooted and hollered because they know where I'm going to go with this. The other 342 of you are like, I don't know what you're trying to say, Phil. <laughs> the same word for hard right here in Genesis 18 is the same word used to call God wonderful. Man, our God is complex. Man, he is deeper than us. His ways are how much higher as far as heaven is from earth. The passage we quote, this famous thing, Wonderful father translates to hard. Wonderful counselor translates to hard counselor. Now, I want to be very clear. God is not an abusive counselor. God is a loving, kind, compassionate. And yet, so many times in my life, God's counseling of me has been what? Hard. I want to encourage you, if you haven't walked through hard things with God, if he hasn't challenged you to grow in uncomfortable ways, you haven't experienced the counselor yet. And you need to. And that same word also means what? Wonderful. 
Anytime I've walked through something hard in my life, anytime I've walked, specifically when I put God at the front and I try to walk through it with him, I can say without a doubt it's been wonderful every time. I mean, there's one example that comes to my mind and I can't even share it for personal reasons, but effectively I saw something that should have like wrecked my life. It should have, it would have wrecked many's. And I'll never forget, I went back to, I wasn't even local. I went back to my hotel room that night and I was literally with my wife and I was like, can we just put worship music on praise God? And she asked me, she was like, what? Why do you want to do that? And I was like, cause God answered my prayers and it was hard, but God's wonderful. And then look at this verse, is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's bring it full circle. Sarah was clearly walking through something so hard. She's 90 years old at this point. She felt God had told her she'd have a child. She's past childbearing age. That's hard. And God says, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Here's my point. Where you see something hard, God sees the potential for wonderful. Where you see something hard, where I see something hard, God sees the potential for wonderful. I need someone to hear this today, and if it's not for you, if you're in the room and you already believe that, but you know people in your life who their whole premise is if God is good, why do hard things happen? Because it can be wonderful. Hard counseling leads to better life. Share this with someone. Tell them, man, you got to listen to this. I know life's been hard for you right now, but the same word God uses for hard, he uses for wonderful. I know it feels hard right now. Never discount someone's pain, please, ever. Never discount someone's pain, but encourage them. What was point number one? Speak what God sees into them. And what God sees is the potential for wonderful. Man, I can't tell you the number of times I have people look at me side-eyed because I'm overly optimistic. I'm going to be clear about something. That is not just built into anybody. Nobody's born just, you know, there is no wrong side of the bed. That does, that's not real, okay? You choose that. I had someone even recently, someone on staff here, actually it was Tara Farmer. It's not like a secret. Tara was like, so is everything just great for you all the time? And I was like, no. <laughs> I could list off five hard things right now, but I don't choose to let them control how I act. They don't define me. Hard things don't define me. You know what the devil wants? The devil wants a broken world, which is his fault. And then he wants to trick you to think that that controls you. Man, we just sang the song, It Is Well. Can I tell you something about soul wellness? It has nothing to do with your circumstances, everything to do with the one who created your soul. I'm going to skip some notes here because I feel like God's bringing me somewhere else. Have you ever heard the story of it as well? And if you haven't, I'm going to tell you. The story of it as well is amazing. It's a man named Horatio Scafford, a long time ago. He was a wealthy businessman and investor. He, he made a lot of money. The, the fire of, in Chicago, I think 1871 or 1971, I'm not good at history. It, he lost most, most, most of his wealth in this huge kind of famous fire, Right? So everything he'd built, he loses. Shortly after, his only son dies of scarlet fever. Shortly after, his only son dies of scarlet fever. It was a tough season for them. Well, naturally, dad thinks the best decision would be go on vacation. So he has some work stuff to finish up, and he sends his wife and four daughters on a ship to England. Halfway through, the ship sinks. His four daughters die. His wife survives. She gets to England. She sends a telegram. I was the only one who made it. Obviously, Horatio gets on a ship, and this is a man of God, to be clear. He gets on the ship. He, he's in the middle of the ocean, and the captain tells him. There's a real story. You can look this up for yourself. Captain tells him, this is where the ship went down. This is where your daughters died all for. He wrote it as well right then. 
That's where the song, It Is Well, got wrote. Man, I think we do this thing where we sing uplifting Jesus songs, but we only want them when they fit the circumstances of our life. God, I will believe it's well when it feels well. The song was not written from that mindset. The song was written when it was the worst of the worst of the worst. I'm not trying to downplay anybody's circumstances in the room. I'd imagine most of us have not lost our entire fortune and have five children die in a few months. And he wrote one of the most impactful songs of hope in the history of like the human race that we're still singing hundreds of years later. I'm not saying that this wellness is easy. I'm saying it's available. I'm saying that there are people who have gone through hell and back and have been able to, with integrity, say, it is well with my soul. That is not a personality thing. That's a Jesus thing. That is not whether or not you're an optimistic person or a pessimistic person. That's you allowing Jesus into your heart in a life-changing way. He's the only one who could do that. Not a human alive could write that song without God in those circumstances. I couldn't. I don't know, what is it for you? Where you see something hard, God sees the potential for wonderful. Do we believe it, though? Man, I don't know, and if God's even reminding me in this moment, I don't need to know. He knows. I don't know what it is for you. He does. He's with you more than I've ever realized than you've ever realized. He doesn't leave or forsake us. He's even closer when we're brokenhearted. When we're in the valley, we look to the hills where our help comes from. The number of scripture that speaks specifically to hurt and pain. Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame for our sake. I had a whole giant point after this. We're not even going to go there. I'm, I'm going to give you a way we do this, which ironically, not ironically, God knows what he's doing, ties exactly into the second half of verse 14. If we can throw that slide up. Verse 14b, he says this. After, is anything too hard from the Lord? He says, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. For the second time in four verses, and the third to fifth time in two chapters, God reaffirms and reminds them of the promise that he had given. He did not just say to Sarah, I know you're struggling, I know it's hard, but I can make wonderful of it. In the same sentence, he reminds her of what he's promised her. He never leaves us hanging. He doesn't leave us with this hurt and pain and say, hey, here's a really cute idea, it can be wonderful. Now, go deal with it. He says, here's what I've told you and here's what I will do. My last point is this. We all need to hear from God over and over again. We all need to hear from God over and over again. Abraham, this patriarchal faith figure, had to be told over and over and over, even after he was promised directly to his face, how much more do we need to be reminded of what God has promised us again and again and again? Surround yourself with people who are going to push you towards God's voice. I want to encourage you. God's voice is usually not verbal words. It's through his people. It's through his word. It's through his spirit. I want to give you a quick example of something God reminded me of, and it changed me in the moment. 
I was just out at a place called Wesley Forest for a week, serving at a special needs camp. Last year in August, we had brought our students to the same camp, the same camp, and we were going up this river. And I might, might have told the story already, I'm not sure, but we walked up it. It was not part of the plan to do anything spiritual. It was just a hike. We got to this place where there was a pool in the river and the kids are playing and I have a leader say, hey, I think we should do baptisms. And I was like, no, they're having fun. Why are we going to do that? Get all Jesus-y on them. And I prayed and long story short, God was like, be quiet, Phil, let's do it. We baptized 18 people in that river that day. No cell phone service, no pictures, just the spirit of God and people saying yes. I was at that same river this last week and it had been 10 months since we baptized these kids and I'm pushing my camper in a wheelchair through the jungle and it's frustrating and I'm hot and I'm sweaty and I'm literally wondering why I'm even doing this because we keep almost falling and he's getting frustrated that I'm not doing it well and it's just a hot mess. And we finally get there, I'm perspiring excessively and I'm mad. I'm like, now I have to go back once we're done here? And I sat on the edge of the water to calm myself down a little bit while he sits and is doing whatever he's doing. And after a couple minutes, I, I, I'm like, man, I should talk to God. And I, just, I simply just like, God, you got something for me? That's all I ask. And he said, do you remember what happened in these waters? And in that moment when God reminded me, when I heard from him again in the most simple way, that frustration was gone. That anger was gone. That doubt of why I was doing what I was doing was gone. And I was just filled in awe of remembrance of how God is always working everything for good. What does God need to remind you of today that's going to help you in that hurt, help you in that pain, help you in that hard season? How about this? It's going to help you help someone in a hard season. What does God need to remind you of? Maybe he's telling you now. Remember what I say about you? Remember what I call you? Remember what I've done for you? Remember that time I showed up in that insane way? What's he reminding of you now? And do we see that that is integral to not only people like Abraham and Sarah, but so much more even for us to trust that he's working all things for good? What we see is hard. He sees the potential for wonderful. Just ask yourself that as we close out singing Again, it is well. What's he need to remind you of today so you can trust that it is well? Let's worship.